Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Welcome to episode number 55 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get you out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. That's what I'm trying to do anyway, and I hope it is working. (laughs) Um, So thanks for being here. If you're a first-time listener, cool. appreciate you listening in on the show. And if you're a long-time listener and getting involved in the show and getting in contact with me, awesome guys and girls. I just love it. I love you guys getting in contact with me. It's great, and we're having some great conversations via email and via the old Instagrams. So if you want to get in contact with the show, simply go to www.mtb-tribe.com. You can find all the episodes there, the bike catalogue and all is there, and you can easily search for that. Or you can subscribe to the show and get an email every week just letting you know who's coming on the show and a wee short synopsis of what the episode is about. You can also contact me there just simply via the contact page. Drop me an email and I will get back to you. And you can email me about anything. Anything you're having issues with mountain bike related, even if it's somebody you want on the show or something you want to chat about on the show, just drop me an email and I will do my best to get that guest or get somebody on to answer your questions for you. Now, believe it or not, folks, the podcast is actually a year old. So it was launched this weekend, well, this Thursday last year so it's it's a year old and i'm not really going to do anything special for it to be honest i don't really i'm not one of these guys that celebrates my birthday that much or anything so um i'm not going to do a a big shout out or anything like that but one person i do want to give a shout out to is Stephen from banger now Stephen sent me a very very nice email just saying how the show is helping him and motivating him to get out on the trails. He even, after listening to the Nathan McComb episode about Nathan's new business, uh, Enduro Malaga, he went out and visited Nathan and had a good ride there with Nathan and really enjoyed that. He's wearing the old Broken Riders t-shirts and stuff like that, which he got a discount through the Tribe podcast. So Stephen, thanks so much, man. I really do appreciate it. Now, Stephen also has a YouTube channel, and I want you guys to check it out because it's a local Irish YouTube channel, so you're going to get to see Stephen and other guys riding trails around Ireland, and a lot of them your local trails. Of course, you'll also see footage from Stephen on his enduro with Nathan, and um, awesome, awesome channel. Really good to support somebody local like that. So the name is Monkey Wrench MTB, and it's spelled M digit zero. So, number zero, N-K-E-Y-W-R-E-N-C-H-M-T-B. So, please check that out for Stephen. I'm sure he would enjoy you guys getting in contact via YouTube and listening to um, watching the show that wee bit more. So, that's awesome. Stephen, thanks so much, man. I do appreciate you getting in contact, and I love guys getting in contact like that. So, again, thanks. Thanks very much. 
One other thing I want to mention before we get into today's episode is that Ben from the Strength Factory, MTB Strength Factory, that was on the show a few episodes ago, he had done a offer for us where he got money off his online courses, his strength courses. Now, I know Stephen has taken up one of his courses and enjoying it very, very much. So there was a discount if you went through MTB Tribe to do that. There's only a couple of days, few days left on that. So if you want to know more about that and get your discount, before that expires just simply go to the website and go to the resources page and you will see the link on there so thanks folks now today's guest we are chatting to simon blake from east africa now simon was on the show back on episode 20 just chatting to us about how the mtb scene is developing in africa so we touch base with him again he's just ran an enduro there and it was very successful it was a lot better received than the same enduro last year so we chat to him about that about how he goes about that how he gets people involved what the trails are like what their equipment is like we also get into how mountain biking is changing for the better in east africa and in kenya and there's a lot of enduros and a lot of See stuff happening around there now, all from the input of Simon and a few other key players within that area. So they definitely are developing things for the better there. There's kids getting involved, the skill levels getting better. So it's a really interesting episode. And if you have listened to the show before, you'll know that I have done four or five episodes from East Africa just with that scene there and the guys involved so they're very keen to come on and promote that so Simon has some very very interesting information regarding what's happening hopefully in the near future and how things are only going to get better there so it's a really good uh, episode it's good to know what's going on in other places in the world as far as MTB is concerned and I find it very interesting in how these guys are developing the market there so a lot of interesting things going to be happening there in the near future there's a lot of talks a lot of meetings going on so you'll you'll get the backstory here and you'll get into it a wee bit more with this episode so folks i hope you enjoy thanks for listening and i will introduce simon to the mtb tribe podcast hi simon welcome to the mtb tribe podcast how are you sir all the way from kenya yeah so in nairobi today oh you're in nairobi Yep. Wow. Okay, cool. So just finished the Kerio Valley Enduro. So it's sort of the second time the events run. And this time was, yeah, a lot better than the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a few people flew up and we got some, yeah, a little bit of support, which was really cool from a couple of companies in uh, Kenya. So that helped. And uh, one of them being Fly 540 Airlines. And they flew bikes up for free which is not always easy in Kenya on the internal flights. And so a lot of guys took advantage of that and were able to fly from Nairobi up to Eldoret. And then I just organized one of the local sort of taxi pickup guys in Eldoret. He's uh, pretty clean, pretty professional, turns up on time, and he just picked everyone up. So it was really smooth for the guys to get up to E10, uh, Mm. which is always a bit of a problem because driving, it's about seven hours from Nairobi. And most of the guys that ride... You know, the, the better bikes in Kenya tend to come from the bigger cities. Uh, so it was really cool to have a number of guys come up. Um, they stayed in a yeah, number of different hotels around E10. And then Kerio View Hotel gave us a bit of a discount on accommodation and like half board. 
So a lot of the guys stayed there. And it is the best hotel in Uten. And then we sort of ran the prize giving from there and the race briefing. and But it was just nice. Like over dinner, I was pretty chilled. Um, but it was good to, to get those guys' business and then also have a really nice setting and, and a comfortable journey for the guys to get there as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, cool. And logistically, Nairobi, whereabouts is that when you look at a map and with Kenya? When you look at a map of Kenya, it's sort of uh, quite central, central, a little bit south of central. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially in the part of Kenya that's lived in because the far north, northeast is not really that lived in because there's a lot of desert up there. Um, there's people that live there, but the population is not very dense. Um, but the part of Kenya that is lived in, where the good soil is, gets enough rain, in some ways Nairobi's sort of sort of smack in the middle. Um, and, yeah, most stuff in Kenya happens in some ways through Nairobi. Like if you're a serious business in any way, you have to have an office in Nairobi, and which is good and bad because it creates – a lot of traffic issues and everyone comes to Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a lot of the businesses could spread out more, like there's a lot of business in the other towns, but I feel if more stuff could be spread out into other towns, there'd be less congestion and, and craziness in Nairobi. Um, but it's just the way it is. So. Yeah, cool. And th- this is the second time the, the Enduro has run. Yeah, so the second time. So we had 17 people sign up this year, which is a lot better than three. For the first wow, year, really, <laughs> and those of those three last year, one of the contestants was myself, so we're down to two. The other one was my really good mate from America, Weston Shuri, an awesome, awesome mountain biker, and he actually won the American Collegiate Championships when he was at university, and then um, sort of got more into guiding and outdoor work as opposed to following a competitive cycling career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes came over, and so he really didn't have a choice as to what he was doing on that day because we he came over just to do a mountain bike trip and I just drove him around different parts of Kenya where there was good mountain biking, hooked up a few little trips and met up with some friends and so we got to E10. Yeah, Wes was there and then Will Clark came down, who you've had on the podcast before, mm-hmm. uh, from Uganda and so it was just myself, Wes and Will. Um, wow. it, was cool. it was just a bunch of mates just ripping it up really and mm-hmm. But it was yeah, it wasn't really a competition. Uh, Wes annihilated both myself and Will, and then Will was quite a bit of a way in front of us. So, um, but just but this year was yeah, it was a good participation. There was a good spread of abilities. Um, sort of the competitive edge of the competition was myself, Will Clark, and Peter Horsey, who's down living in Mombasa, uh, riding a bike, and he has his own enduro down there uh around november probably this year and it's just it's really nice actually really different riding down there uh, there is a little bit of elevation on the coast that he he makes the most of um and then you can go down the beach later on it's pretty cool wow it was um yeah but it's mostly between pete and will uh, but on some of the stages especially the stages where you needed to pedal more then i was uh getting closer to the front so that was good sorry go ahead and then we had yeah quite a a range of abilities below that there was a few other guys that would have been pretty close but had some like tire burps and mechanicals on the way so they lost like good chunks of time over the two days Uh, and then there was people that were essentially their sort of first time enduro and they're just coming to check it out and they're a bit 
sort of nervous and they had to walk quite a few of the more technical sections because we did put in some pretty steep techie runs in bits and pieces of the stages. Um, but it was, yeah, everyone had fun, so that was really cool. Uh, some of the stages where I thought they'd really struggle and not enjoy, for some people it was actually their most enjoyable trail. Um, so it was just good to also get a gauge on what people actually enjoy, what they like, uh, how to, and then how to, it was, yeah, it was, the organisation went really well. Everything seemed to happen on time, at least African time. And then we had, uh, we had a little pump track race in the afternoon. It was a Saturday-Sunday event. Mm-hmm. So we did four stages Saturday on the essentially the western side of the valley over near E10, um, just dropping off the edge of the escarpment and one in the forest. And then we all went back to the Kenyan Riders training camp where we've got our little pump track for the guys to improve their skills. And we had a pump track race there for anyone. So local kids, uh, team cyclists from Kenyan Riders, and then guys that had entered the enduro. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. One of the local kids actually won, like, fair and square. He beat everyone. Mm. Uh, so he's, I'm guessing he's, like, 14 years of age, just did it in a pair of dirty shorts and a dirty T-shirt, a dirty singlet, doesn't have a helmet. Uh, and he was just absolutely screaming around the pump track on this little BMX, which is the team's BMX. Not even in very good working condition, but good enough for those boys. <laughs> <laughs> He's phenomenal. The boy, like I've really started thinking, maybe I need to start looking at BMX programs now um, to develop the. Like obviously we've got the road program going, but this like this young boy, yeah, he's got talent. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few photos I can send through if you need of him. We've built a little tabletop, and they were putting other BMX bikes on top of the tabletop, and he was jumping over the top of them, uh, yeah, and he just I- looks so. I, I seen the, the footage of that. I think that was yeah. on Instagram. I think somebody has yeah. posted it on Instagram and I was watching that. Yeah, that was awesome. So he's, yeah, he just comes around after school whenever, like it's all pretty random, but yeah, the boy's got style. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. And he beat, yeah, the, the few team cyclists that went in it. There was a few guys from the Enduro that entered. And uh, again, the first prize for the that little competition was a goat and second prize was a chicken. So... Mm. He was his actually his mum turned up. I didn't realise until the end of the event. Uh, his mum turned up and was very very happy for her son to walk home with a new goat. So that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, that is unbelievable. So yeah, we'll be putting more stuff up on like it'll dribble out onto social media over the next sort of week or two. Um, but there's some really cool photos that uh, a local young guy from E10 took. He came over with his camera and. Yeah, some good photos of the goat and the chicken and the, the prize giving and stuff. So that was it was really fun actually. The pump track event it was just wild, so chaotic, and uh, and then we had what they call over there in Buzzy Choma on the Saturday night, which is just um, essentially barbecued goat meat um, from different goats, not the the prize winning goat. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the guys that works for the cycling team as a swanier at races and just the general do everything guy around E10. He's a, an amazingly hard worker, Patrick. And he was in charge of the, the Nyamachoma or the, the barbecued meat. And so he barbecued up some goat and some chicken and veggies and rice. And so once the pump trap race had finished and we fed all of the enduro entrants first, cause they were the ones that had actually paid entry fees and paid for the meat yeah. really. 
and then all the kids that were just hanging around for the pump trap race, if there was any leftovers, they jumped in like seagulls and definitely finished it off. So <laughs> there was hungry eyes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. And how did the pump track race work? Were you racing against somebody else? How did you how did you work that? Yeah, so it was sort of like in the velodrome, like a match, uh, I think they call it match sprint. So you've mm. got two people on the track at one time on opposite sides of the of the loop course. Yeah. And you've just got to ride three laps back to your start point before the other guy gets back to his start point, his three laps. But at the same time, if you catch the other competitor before the three laps, then it's an automatic win. Um, so there was a mixture of some people had to do all the three laps to win and others caught the other spec- the other competitor relatively quickly and knocked him out. So it was all pretty cool, lots of cheering and yelling and quite a few good stacks on the on the dusty soil. So it was, yeah, it was good. <laughs> and were guys doing it in BMXs or were the enduro riders taking their bikes? Huh? Uh, the two enduro guys used their own mountain bikes. Um, I know I said to one of them, because I've got a full rigid single speed um, Kona unit, 26 inch, and that's a good bike for an adult on the pump track because mm-hmm. you don't lose anything through the suspension. But he had clipped in pedals and I run flats. And so he just stuck on his dual suspension giant and, yeah, it was pretty slow. Uh, and the boys on the team were using – I've got two single speeds I had there. One's just a hardtail, one's rigid, and they use them. And then the young kids from around the, the town and the village just use the BMXs. So it was, yeah, it was just choose whatever bike you want, whatever you think is the fastest. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because there's a few – we've got – in Mullet here, we've got a really good skate park, mm. and there's – a few of the guys that have came up into mountain biking via the via the BMX and then the skate park, because it's yep. really it's really well set up for BMX as well. And mm. I'll tell you what, them guys have some skills on a mountain bike. It shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So now the young kid that won Dan, I'm like I'm excited to see him in a mountain bike in a couple. Like we're going to try and get more bikes for the camp uh, to develop more young talent. And uh, yeah, I'd be keen to see Dan riding. Actually, to be be pretty cool. The boys definitely got style. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. And let's chat about the enduro then. So the numbers were up a wee bit. Do you think that was mainly off the back of the likes of the Kanjawi enduro and enduro and stuff that you've done previously? Do you think it's all helping? Yeah, definitely. So all the events that we're running. So I'd say the main ones are the Kajabi event with Adam. Uh, Will Clark has his one over on Mount Elgon in Uganda. Pete's got his event down on the coast at Vapingo Ridge, Mombasa, and then I've got the Kerio Valley Enduro. Uh, and we all, especially myself, Pete and Will and Adam, sort of all try and support each other a little bit and, and like make the effort to turn up to each other's event, mm-hmm. uh, if we can, not always, but most of the time. Um, and obviously just try and help out. And I think because, especially the Kajabi event, a lot of the Nairobi folk came because it was so close. Uh, and so then they're like, actually, this is a pretty cool way to do it. And so they were keen when I posted that we're running one in the Kerio Valley that they were happy to, to come up. And, and because Fly 540 gave us, um, well, they actually gave us the first two prizes as well, two free flights in in Kenya, which was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, just internal flight so that was the first prize so again like had a good first prize um but i do think having had the kajabi enduro on the first day in kajabi we had 25 entrants 
and quite a few of the guys that entered my race were at the Kajabi event as well. So I think all supporting each other in a way, which is nice. And um, it was really cool. Will Will Clark and Pete Horsey came up uh, three days before the event. So we were able to go and recce each day. And it was good for me to get their, their eyes and their point of view because I know the trails. And especially when you're marking it, you just miss corners that you think is so obvious. And they're like, which way do we go? And you don't realize there's actually a junction there. Um, and it was a lot. Yeah, we marked the courses either with spray paint on the ground on rocks, uh, like a lime chalk powder, some tape, but often the tape just got pulled down and I don't know where it went. Either someone uses it or they just think it's funny to pull it off. And so putting tape down wasn't always the best option. Um, but we can't really put signs up because they'll get stolen. Um, so the paint and the chalk tends to be the best, but it does take a while to go and mark every single junction. And like I think like every race organiser knows. Um, but it was really nice having Pete and Will there and we were able to do the two days and then on the fourth day just sort of other organisational stuff. Peter's really, really good with the maps and Strava and Google Earth and so he went and plotted all the maps and so people could download it onto their Garmin before each event if they wanted to have it on their Garmin uh, and if they got really lost they could just follow the arrow um, but then it also gave people an idea of the elevation profiles and so, yeah, it was super handy having them both there. And especially on the day of the event, just Will was really helping me with, oh, we've got to put this in the car, got to organise that when my mind was full of a million things and I'm just forgetting bits and pieces. So, it was, yeah, it was really cool to have those guys there. Yeah, definitely. I've seen some footage of you doing a bit of prep work with the volunteers and stuff. So how many volunteers did you need to get? In the end, before Will and Pete turned up, I had... Uh, it was four guys came out and helped me dig on some of the trails, especially on the E10 side, on the western side of the valley, because there was a few un- completely unrideable sections, but in the right in the middle of a really nice trail. So we just went down with some jembos, it's like a hoe, using Kenya, and um, and just fixed it all up. Uh, they moved some pretty massive rocks, filled in some unrideable holes. And in the end, those bits ended up coming, becoming some of the better features on those trails, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And now, at least for me, I've got some fully rideable trails that I never used to have before, which is good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the day of the race, three of those guys turned up and just did a little bit of marshalling on some corners um, that were even hard to mark in a way. It was a bit confusing. And so they could just point people in the right direction. And then after that, I didn't really need them. So they went and helped in the background with, you know, buying the vegetables and helping slaughter the goat for that night's uh, barbecue and just doing other odd bits and pieces in the background as I was running the enduro on the Saturday. So, yeah, it was cool have those guys there. And, they yeah, they worked pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've used them before, actually, to – they helped me build the pump track and just pay them each per day and, and they just dig. So mm-hmm. That's good to have local interest and help. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, yeah, cool. So, what kind of what would the ages be that are entering the race? Do you think, Simon? Uh, probably people in their twenties and thirties was the the main age group, and a lot of the guys actually probably in their thirties. Uh, and there would have even been a few forty. I'm forty now, but there was a few other forty year olds there, guys either around my age or a bit older. But I'd say the main age group would have been in their thirties, and then. 
a few of the young boys from the team, the junior boys that are not really on the Kenyan Riders team, like fully fledged in a, a serious training program, they also came along and uh, just borrowed my two single speeds actually. So they are on rigid. One of them was full rigid. The other one's a hardtail. And uh, Rashid ended up getting fourth overall in the standings over the two days. And, yes, some of the other guys had some bad mechanicals, but still, you know, that happens. Um, and Rashid was on a, yeah, single-speed hardtail, and he ended up getting fourth behind um, myself, Will, and Toby. Uh, so that was that was pretty cool. Actually, no, behind myself, Peter and, and Will, then Rashid. So he did well. Like, he is strong. He's super quick. Um, and he's actually the brother of probably the most promising cyclist in on the road cyclist in kenya at the moment so he's got some talent and he, he had fun he was enjoying it so mm-hmm. he did well yeah wow and take us through the different stages there what are the trails like there uh so stage one started beside a school fence just on the outside of the school just down beside a you had the barbed wire on your left uh, for the school fence and you had a <laughs> Uh, forest on your right, the Cameron Forest. So you pretty much started off. We actually, it was like in a little, they call a boma, like a farm house, sort of a, a very African one. And there was like a like a cattle crush almost. So we lined everyone up in that, and that was when you had to go every every thirty seconds. So you just bolted out of there, turned left into the school beside the school property, and bombed down this hill. And it's sort of a straight line, but you got to jump from side to side on the trail big left turn up onto a big grass field and then that was when the trail proper started and it's just that's we were starting at the top of the great rift valley essentially and just dropping a couple of hundred was i think we dropped maybe 150 meters down elevation wise and it's just a farm trail like people used to go from the village into town or through the shamba which is a farm um it's just a really nice trail we'd fixed up bits and pieces of it uh, quite rocky in parts, stage one, and then lots of dirt. And then the bottom half, you were in farms. So riding in between corn or beans or onions, whatever it is. Um, and you just really, yeah, like when I was doing the, it was the Tuesday, the Wednesday, we went to fix up that trail. Uh, we had some interesting conversations with some local people. One of them was seriously drunk. And uh, so I made my best effort to get, on side with that guy and be his best friend because he he wanted some money out of me and he ended up cutting a little bit of grass for us which was sort of token but gave him like a little bit of money just to keep him happy because he didn't realize he could have actually completely ruined that whole stage if he didn't want me going next to his land he could have shut it down completely so um i was very very friendly and it is a public path he was just trying to he saw a white guy and he saw money and so he was just trying to you know, stand up, be a big mm-hmm. man. So just, you just got to play the game, be calm, be his best friend and all was good in the end. Then another guy saw us again and thought, sweet, here's a good opportunity to make money. And he said, if you damage any of my crops, then you'll be paying the damages. And I said, yep, that's fine, no problems. And the damages, if you knock over a plant, it's probably like 20 shillings, like 20 cents. Mm-hmm. But the way he was looking at me, his eyes were like, every plant you damage is a 1,000 shillings, which is $10. So luckily no one broke anything, but it would have been an interesting conversation if he was there and we fell into his field of onions or beans or maize, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was all good. 
that trail unfortunately doesn't finish down at the tarmac because there's some seriously unrideable rocks like you just can't get through uh, so we had to hike a bike down quite a bit of elevation um, but I'm hoping next year I've seen there's maybe a little route I can add in extra distance to lose all the way down to the tarmac and just traverse the hill quite because it's really steep uh, traverse the hill a few times through some sort of jungle and uh, just sort of jungly grass and Hopefully I can get that stage to finish down at the town of Kessup as opposed to sort of three quarter or a quarter of the way up that hill. Mm. Make the stage a bit longer and a bit more enjoyable. So, And then we actually just hired a local lorry, like an open cage truck flatbed with a big cage on the back of it to do the shuttles and we just got some blankets and stacked all the bikes in, lay a blanket in between every bike, drove back up to E10, and then stage two traversed quite gently at first. And then there was a few rock obstacles on the trail that, again, weren't steep, but you had to sort of really manoeuvre around them. Some of them were pretty tricky. And then the, the trail got steep really quickly. And there were sort of three main features there that were pretty tricky. And I think at least half the field walked that section. Um, it's just an awkward set of rocks. It's not easy to get down. Then you fly out of there past a another little boma, another little farm. And unfortunately, those people at that farm tend to be drunk like every single time I go past them, uh, making lots of funny noise. I've got a pretty angry dog, which luckily they must have kept inside on Saturday after I asked them to. And then it, well, the trail wove its way into a really tight little section of forest that was steep and loose from eucalyptus leaves. And you just had, you had to come in almost standstill. If you came in with any speed at all, you just wash out in the next corner and fall in the trees. Then I went into a tight squeeze, another drop, some really cool big rock rolls, and then into a really fast open section, back into a forest, some more rock rolls, and then you finish next to the tarmac. So stage two sort of looks gentle at the beginning, um, but some of the, the technical writing in there. So it's more like a feature Smooth, feature, smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love that. It's a really cool, fun trail. And then we got a short shuttle up off to a local forest called Singore Forest. And then we had essentially what was really just a short cross-country stage. But I knew a lot of the competitors coming up might have been disappointed if every single trail was steep and gnarly. And so I put this one in that's just dirt and a few roots, weaving its way through a pretty dark section of pine trees and it was just in there to try and cater for, for everyone, like mm. keep those guys happy. And um, But it was really cool. Like it's, it's a really, really peddly stage, three quarters of the stage you're peddling, and you're just weaving your way through trees that you're trying not to hit the trees. And uh, Will and I went up the day before the race and dropped as much chalk on the ground as we could because it's, cause it's so dark, it's actually hard to see where you're going at times, so the white chalk – Gave you, and there's so many options, you sometimes get a little bit lost. So having the chalk there made it better. And uh, but even like everyone, even the good riders, really enjoyed that stage because it was just flat out. Like just go for it. So that was fun. Then we rode back up to the top of the forest, and then for some people, it was their favourite stage of the whole race. And that again drops off the side of the escarpment, and uh, it's a really, really rocky trail. In some sections, it's a bit steep. Um, a bit loose, like small baby heads everywhere, and then some solid slabby rocks you've got to get up and over. Um, one or two guys 
came came undone there, but didn't really hurt themselves, luckily. And then again, we had to finish that stage up again above a farm because the farmer had planted his maize, his corn, and so we just had to sort of slowly make our way down after the stage finished to a dirt road, and then we had quite a long ride on some pretty cool, very, very scenic dirt roads. Um, from that point, you look down into the Kerio Valley, and it's a lot of farming, so the, uh, the area is pretty open. So you have these quite majestic views down into the Kerio Valley, and then got it, met the truck again back at the tarmac, got a lift back up to the uh, pump track, and then had the pump track afternoon, the race, and then had the big barbecue, and then people just slowly went off to their hotels or back home and tried to get an early night because we were up um, pretty early. We left, we tried to leave at 6 a.m. on the Sunday because mm. went to the complete other side of the valley, and it takes a bit over an hour to drive there in a truck. And we just used the team van and put all the bikes in the back of the truck again, and some people even sat in the back of the truck. And it's a, it's a pretty beautiful drive. You drop all the way down the bottom of the valley, climb back up to – you get down to – the bottom of the valley is about 1,100 metres above sea level, and then you climb back up to about 2,000 again. And that was all the elevation we had to lose, which is very nice. Um, and then we put in, and pretty much Sunday is just rocks all the way. There's patches <laughs> – but it's pretty much rocks. Some of the nice, really solid, slabby rocks with steps in it, which make for some really cool riding. And then there's, on some sections, just a lot of baby heads and um, sort of skipping from one loose rock to the next. Um, but the people, everyone enjoyed that day. Like I was concerned that some people would not enjoy that um, stage. And mm. I was even thinking the night before, like should I even included this? Like I love it over there on the – that side of the valley but it's pretty rough it's very african you are quite exposed and it's like if something goes wrong then it's all up to you there's you like it's a hike out there's no other way of getting out of there really um so there's some pretty high consequences if you make a mistake and there's a you could easily crash there because it's so rocky and loose in parts but luckily actually will clark had a massive crash um came offline a little bit on a stage that we had marked, me, Will and Pete, <laughs> and ran into a barbed wire fence that he couldn't see. Like he was he reckoned oh. he, forty five or fifty K an hour and then just stopped. Uh, he didn't even know the fence was there when he hit it. And he was just riding along looking for a line, then all of a sudden he was on his head on the ground. And he was just like, What the hell just happened? Jeez. Um, so luckily he only he broke his helmet or like put cracks through his helmet. It was a really good so, yeah, hats off for Met, M-E-T. They make some very good helmets. <laughs> we all had, like, no scratches or he had a little bit of stiffness in his neck, but he was wearing a full face, luckily. But he was, yeah, like he said, that helmet did a lot. So he would recommend an M-E-T helmet to anyone at the moment. Mm. Um, and then he broke quite a bit of bits on his bike, but it was all rideable, luckily, for the rest of the day. But he's definitely going home to get on the uh, <laughs> get on buy some parts. Unfortunately, so wow, um, wow. yeah, broke wider on the crank. Broke the, the crank was bent. Uh, his derailleur was a bit screwed up. There was one or two other things as well. So, but anyway, happens. But yeah, we're yeah. going. Uh, like a few other people crashed, but not badly. And um, we all it happened pretty. We were pretty efficient that day. It all went really smoothly. 
uh, super duper hot. Like every time you finish a stage, you just start looking for shade, and there's not a lot of shade. A lot of the trees are only like eight foot high, and they're pretty sort of shrubby. They're not like good mm. coverage, so you're sort of ducking into areas to try and sit under a bit of shade while you wait for everyone else. And we, we tried to keep it, or we did keep it as a group, not like a lot of enduros where you got a time limit to just go whenever you want um, just for safety reasons, and it's just nice socially. You do your stage sitting in the shade under a bush, everyone else starts finishing, talk about what happened, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, we made it all the way down to the bottom of the valley uh, and pretty much raided this shop of water and people had sodas and little sort of, well, they call them rock cakes and queen cakes. It's sort of like a muffin type thing, but uh, mm. a lot less tasty than a, a muffin overseas, but they're pretty good when you're really hungry and thirsty. Um, so that, that young lady made some good business on that day. We I think we almost bought her out of water. And then we rode... It's about a 10K ride from there on dirt back to the tarmac. And then we ended up going for a swim down the Kerio River, which uh, at times does have crocodiles in it. Jesus. Tell me that time of day, they're not in the section that we swim in. <laughs> so that, that was lovely to just go down and jump in the river just for a short swim. It was nice and cool. And it's in quite a pretty little gorge, big black rocks, like organ pipe type things, just uh, coming out of the little river, which is the Kerio River. And um, and then drove back up to Iten in the truck, and then we did the prize giving, and and then just hung out and had a really nice dinner. So it was uh, yeah, overall it was a, it was a great weekend. Everyone mm. had fun. Everyone was pretty positive. There was another guy yeah busted his derailleur, went in off the top cog, and fell into his spokes and ripped out about eight spokes. Like his wheel was oh. a disaster. Uh, and or luckily he did it on the last stage on stage eight on the second day but it did mean he had a long walk out and uh he was actually flying off that evening overseas for business and he's got a pretty big race a cross-country race coming up in in kenya called the rift valley odyssey it's a five-day event and he was entered for that but he's gonna have to go and buy himself a new wheel and a derailleur so hopefully he can get that sorted but he had heaps of fun he just yeah he smashed his rear wheel Wow, wow. Well, the trails sound like you have a bit of everything there, really. Yeah, it's nice, actually. And, um, yeah, it was, if, if I think of all the eight stages, uh, the first four are all a little bit different, and then the Sunday stage, they're all in some ways similar, like rocky, rocky, rocky. Um, but if you combine the two days, it's pretty nice. So, it's, um, no, it is, yeah, it's a good test. That's what we thought. Make it, you know, a good test is what enduro is supposed to be a test of the, the complete cyclist in a way, complete mountain biker. Uh, and mm-hmm. and, and what, what length would you think, you know, in terms of kilometres, how long would the whole thing be? Yeah, so that was something that Peter and I were talking about, that we need to make some of the stages longer. So Peter had the winning time over the two days in the end, and after eight, eight stages in two days, it was 33 minutes of racing um, for him. And I know the EWS says it's got to be 40 minutes over eight stages in two days. So if I can get stage number one, go cut some more trail in, uh, I can probably get at least a minute and a half, I think, at least a minute there. Um, I'd take out the easy stage, the one through the forest, and put another escarpment drop trail in. There's a few around, but they'll just need some work. And then on the Sunday, it's pretty easy to make the stages longer, like quite a bit longer, actually. 
And in some ways, I kept them at the length they were because I wasn't really sure how people were going to react and were they just going to be like exhausted because it's the sun and the exposure over there really hits you hard. Like it's not what well, the riding is so rocky and so physical because uh, you're just hitting either slabs or baby heads all day. But it's the the exposure to the sun is just tough and it's so dry. Um, but everyone was in much better shape than I expected. So even from the end of stage eight, uh, we sort of jokingly called it stage liaison. From the end of stage eight down to the dirt road, there is easily another stage there. And it's really, really rocky. Uh, at times hard to keep your speed because you just keep hitting rocks. So you try not to hit your brakes, but at the same time, you know, every now and then you have to. But yeah, trying to trying to keep the speed is it's a big challenge on some of the sections where it gets a little bit flatter. So mm. yeah, so we'd like to get it over the two days at least forty minutes of racing. Um, and because it went so well, like I'm probably more enthusiastic now to go and make even next year like a, a better event and try and get some guys in from overseas. Uh, mm. The reason, yeah, we want to write some articles, send them over to certain mountain bike magazines and. And if guys want to come over for a holiday in Kenya and East Africa, do a safari, uh, do a little bit of travelling, do some cool riding, come a bit earlier, do riding in some other areas, then either start or finish with the enduro, um, then we definitely talked about that quite a bit at the event, how we could make that work and organise the hotels and the transport and the shuttles. and So hopefully people can come over, do the enduro and then have a little bit of a holiday in Africa as well. Hmm. Uh, Sounds very nice indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds really good. And how did you get Fly 540 in that in, involved in the whole thing? Yeah, so Fly 540 has been supporting, I suppose, cycling in different ways for the past couple of years. They, I know you talked to, I think it was Becky from the 10 to 4 on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so Fly 540 used to be involved with the 10 to 4, um, but they're not really involved anymore. Um, and then the owner, Don Smith, Somehow I got my contact or we got in contact through a mutual friend and he's like, look, I'm still keen to support cycling in some way. I love what you guys are doing with the youth of, of the young guys around the Rift Valley province and, you know, and taking a few of them all the way to Europe um, and in some ways, you know, we're getting a bit of success. And he goes, that is something I'd prefer to put my money into than um, some of the other stuff. So I was like, awesome. And so he's been supporting the Kenyan riders teams with flights within Kenya from Kazel Duret to Nairobi is about seven hours drive. And if mm -hmm. we're racing overseas and we've got to travel all the way to Nairobi, uh, then we've got to somehow get all the bikes down there as well, generally in a different vehicle. Um, so if we can fly from Eldoret straight to Nairobi, it's only 45 minutes. They take our bikes on the airplane. We just walk over from the domestic to the international terminal, bang, we're out of there. And oh. it's just like so much better. It's so... Like, <laughs> so much better than traveling on the road mm. and so i've been you know trying to be positive keep it on social media every time they give us a flight another flight in flight magazine the airplane whatever and just plugging um what fly 40 is doing for us and they've been awesome for the team and so i just wrote to don early this year and said look i'm running a different event would you mind putting bikes when the guys want to travel up can you give us um, bikes on the aeroplane for not being charged so people can just travel as luggage or their bikes as luggage 
And then, would you mind giving us a first prize, like a ticket or two for the first prize? He's like, yep, I can do that. No problems at all. So I was, I just wrote to all the competitors and said, look, if you're going to fly with your bike, book your flight on Fly540 yourself, send me your flight details, and then I will let um, Don and Sujal know. And then um, and they just sorted it. There was a little note, like on their ticket. So when that person went to the check-in desk, apparently it came up on that counter that uh oh yeah don't charge this person for their bike blah blah and yeah apparently all the ladies at fly 540 were really friendly and so all the competitors were super happy it was um nice and smooth so and it's just good to get that support as well so slowly slowly Mm -hmm. well that that's a lovely thing to do that's a really good idea actually to do that for the competitors yeah and it's a rad prize like you know two flights yeah so, yeah, Peter was pretty happy. <laughs> happy days. And have you spoke to them about your future plans for next year or anything like that? So I just sent Fly540 an email this afternoon. Um, we were talking amongst ourselves, anyone, but we were wondering if they'd want to even sort of take naming sponsor of like an East African Enduro Series. So it would be mm-hmm. Pete's event on the coast, Kajabi, uh, Iten, Kerio Valley, and then over with Will over in Uganda, and maybe one or two more, and it becomes, you know, the, the Fly 540 event. And I think hopefully they'll jump on it. Like I sent them some really nice photos of our event, and uh, yeah. hopefully you can get, you know, nice tourism destination photos of all the different races, and it gives people, you know, options to travel to different places in Kenya uh, where they fly. Um, so... You know they are they are a destination company, and we go to different destinations to ride our bike. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully they say yes. But um, yeah, Don's been really supportive and super helpful. So hopefully my social media postings have been good enough. <laughs> Happy days. Yeah. Well, it all sounds very exciting there. It's all it's all going ahead anyway, and things are looking good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I wanted to speak to you a wee bit um, because the last time when you were on, you were on the podcast, it was episode 20. Um, and for people that don't know, you're the sports director for African Cycling and MTB Development. Isn't that right? Yep, yep, that's about right. All right, cool. Um, so you're on the podcast. That would have been about nine months ago or so. We were yep. talking about mountain biking in Africa and what you were doing. And all. So have, have you seen anything change over that time? Um, obviously the enduro stuff's getting stronger. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's more guys getting interested in riding that type of stuff. Um, there's a few other cross country races are sort of popping up that used to be there in the past as well. But cause I think the road scene has definitely got a lot stronger, at least competition wise, um, because of the Kenyan riders team. And also there is an actual path now for a young East African guy to make it at least to Europe in a continental level, uh, whereas on the mountain bike, there's not really that opportunity yet, um, and we think that it's going to be easier to develop a road team than a mountain bike team at the moment. But then yeah, saying that, like that young guy Dan who was riding on the pump track, like you know, if we can get him a mountain bike and he keeps riding it for the next couple of years, I would imagine by the time he's twenty, he'll be you know he'd be seriously fast. He looks like a strong boy. I don't know what his power is. Um, but he's starting to turn into a man. He was always just a little, little kid. And when I saw him on the weekend, he was starting to get some muscles. And so, mm-hmm. um, so um, but yeah, 
I think the mountain biking it's probably pretty similar to it's always been guys yeah there's still a lot of guys out riding guys that I know guys that I don't know um, the enduro series is growing the cross country races are probably similar to what they've been in the past um, and then yeah there's more talk about from a couple of different people out trying to organize mountain bike tours and it's like I know we talked about that the last time on the podcast and it's something I've been thinking about a lot and starting to put some things in place to actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Clark has, yeah, started his Clark Expeditions, so he's hoping to run um, more mountain bike tours in Uganda. next, Pretty much next week, actually, I'll be going up to a place called Karamoja in Uganda, uh, which is sort of north, I think it's northwest or just north of Uganda, of um, Mount Elgon and Sippy Falls where Will is. So I'm probably going to drive over to Will's place and then I think we're going to ride for three or four days um, down into the valley through a national park and then up to a place called Mount Moroto, uh, which is in the Karamoja region. And there's a guy from Canada coming over, Pat, who's had a big hand in bicycles for humanity, getting bikes into East Africa. Then Paul Sherwin, the commentator with Phil Liggett for the Tour de France and other big races spends a lot of his life living in Uganda, uh, mm-hmm. has grown up in Africa, so he's going to be there. And then there'll be myself and Will, and uh, Theo is a guy that's pushing the Karamoja tourism. He's a local Ugandan. And then there's a few other interested people. Gorilla Bikes is actually pretty cool. So I've only just started talking to Justice from Gorilla Bikes, so he's a local Ugandan that has somehow got a contact in China making uh, alloy and carbon frame bikes. And Mm. currently he's selling like a cross-country dual suspension bike and then a few other cross-country mountain bikes, sort of hardtail, um, at a mixture of different components. You can sort of get, you know, Dior or you can go up to XT or... so I've only just been introduced to Justice and he's actually, I saw on social media today, he's flying into China. So we're pretty keen to talk about developing some bikes for the team uh, that I can use for a development program. And then it'd be nice to be able to do that with pretty much the only African bike brand. Um, and I haven't had a good look at the specs or an actual physical bike yet, but from the photos that I've seen on social media, um, his bikes look as good as any sort of you know run-of-the-mill um, hardtail that's out there. So mm-hmm. uh, that could be pretty cool if we can work together and develop that and he can get the contacts in China and bring back some bikes. So like all those little things, even today I met another guy that used to be selling bikes in the big supermarket chains here in Kenya and for some reason the biggest supermarket chain in Kenya fell apart earlier this year and mm. uh, completely collapsed, which was yeah, pretty bad for the Kenyan economy, a lot of people's jobs. And mm-hmm. I was like this guy, Depec, uh, essentially calls himself Trinity Bikes, just never got paid. And they were owed a lot of money. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons. People have theories as to what went wrong, and it is East Africa, so who knows. Um, but uh, so he is now, Depec is looking for a different way to obviously sell his goods, and so he's now moving into the cycling community in a way and before he was you know very happy with the supermarkets and he was sort of invisible but now he wants to get into the cycling community and 
start selling some better components and I was over at his factory today and he even had some you know Shimano Dior 10 speed cassettes and brake pads and he's getting a lot of different stuff from China so all that's as well encouraging because it's as a guy that I may be able to go to now for the team if I can put an order in early enough even just to get brake cables gear cables brake pads mm. tires um, they might be really nice spec stuff from Shimano. It might be like a Chaoyang Chinese tire or, um, you know, there's so many different Chinese manufacturers. Um, and we don't need the highest end gear for our development program. So if I can get some just basic Chinese stuff, but it, he brings it into Kenya. He does everything. And then I just buy it off him. That would be, oh, mm-hmm. be massive for the team. It would be really cool. And then I'll push him into the cycling community, like let people know that they can get the odd spare part from him. You don't have to ring up your mate in Europe anymore and wait for him to fly in. Um, so that that could also be a bonus. So there's all those little things, Gorilla Bikes, Depec, um, the Karamoja Tourism stuff. Will's got his stuff going. Um, so, yeah, it's it's taking off and where I've just got to essentially do it, just try and get trail forks going in Kenya as well. We've talked about it for a while and, I've tried a few times on my phone, but I think to set it up initially, you have to do it on your laptop. Um, mm-hmm. We can get because I've used trail forks in Canada and back in Australia. That's just phenomenal. Like it is such a good little program. Mm-hmm. And so if if we can get trail forks going in Kenya, then people can even come over here, and if they're adventurous enough, just go find the trails themselves. And because um, yeah, there's a lot on offer, and it was funny. I was talking to a lawyer this afternoon about. Um, legal matters for the the cycling team and he said there's a whole lot of guys that he's meeting through his um, you know his social life and and even work life guys from all over the world that have got really nice bikes they've come to Kenya they've been here for three or four months and they're asking like you know where else is there to ride other than the one park in the city he's like Mm -hmm. everywhere in this country mate there's riding everywhere they're like oh I can't see anything I don't know I know, like, and they've got enduro bikes, cross country bikes. So, although what, like, we feel like we're doing a pretty good job on Facebook and, and WhatsApp groups, but maybe I need to branch out into different groups and try and let people know that there is a solid riding scene here now. And, and if you're here with a bike, then yeah, everyone's welcome to come. And, and the guys that do ride are, are very, very welcoming people. Everyone's happy to take everyone out. So, it's, um, yeah, it's good. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah certainly i think with a situation like that if you had a few um trail companies or holiday companies and trail centers if you like that type of thing set up that would make that kind of situation a lot easier mm, mm. yeah if you could have a guy, of cycling with yeah. information about other trips and other trails uh actually i've got a meeting tomorrow with a guy that's it's yeah it's a little bit abstract but he's building a, a water park um, right on the edge of Nairobi. Apparently they've dug a three-acre swimming pool uh, and lined it, and then apparently the water is going to be filtered somehow. Um, but I think it's the water for a big new mall that's being built, so the water has to be cleaned anyway. And then mm. they're going to have like those inflatable things that you go and jump off and do backflips and slippery slides. Uh, they're also going to have stand-up paddleboarding and uh, I think some other water activities. But they've got a lot of land and some pretty good investors so i said why don't you he was at the enduro and he absolutely loved it he thought it was so much fun he mm. really enjoyed watching the the bmx race he was just laughing his head off 
And I said to him, well, why don't you build a pump track there? And he's like, actually, that's a good idea. And mm -hmm. uh, so I'll be going out to look at the block of land hopefully tomorrow. And um, so if that, because it's something like in Nairobi, like unfortunately a lot of stuff in Kenya happens in Nairobi. Uh, if we can get a hub of cycling like a really cool pump track and it gets known and we have even like a once a month race, if they can put a short course mountain bike track in as well, that becomes known as the, the constant place once a month. You just go, you know, first Sunday of the month, mm. whatever it is. And then from there you can advertise either commercial trips or you just meet people there. And it's like, yeah, yeah I, know. I ride Machakos, I ride Lake Kipia, I ride E10, I ride Carrier Valley, I've ridden down the coast, whatever it is, tied to hills, Mwanga Hills. So, um, yeah, so little things like that are coming together and it's cool. You know, so I think sometimes at these events, it's not so much about the racing, but it forces everyone like a deadline to come up because everyone's like, oh, I have always wanted to ride an E10 until mm -hmm. you put a race on that everyone actually makes the effort to come up and, and actually do the event. And sometimes I think it's actually more enjoyable not to race, just go up with a bunch of ra uh, mates and just ride around in your own time. But mm -hmm. it's always too busy, so you've got to put the event on to force people to come. Yeah, And then they know it's there and then they're like, oh, that was awesome, got to come back. <laughs> mm -hmm. well i think it's nice also if you go to an area that you don't know that you have guys there to ride with that know the area yep, yep. and with the enduro being on all the trails are marked so you know you're going to be riding the best trails and you're not going to spend half your day hiking back up or getting lost or you know so it, it's kind of you you get the most the most bang for your buck almost yeah definitely yep for sure i agree 100 percent but it seems like you're doing quite a lot there. And, you know, if that guy puts a pump track and get me put a foam pit in or something as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was pretty open to ideas. Like, he's a really cool guy. He's quite adventurous. He runs a um, sort of a paddle boarding and water sports company down on the coast, uh, just north. I think it's just north of Mombasa. Uh, and he finds that it's quite seasonal. They do have a definite season to do. Actually, he does kite boarding down there as well. That's his main mm -hmm his main thing, the kite, kite surfing, and he finds there's a certain time of the year where it really works, and the other time of the year the wind is very inconsistent. Um, so he's setting up this water park with a few other people, and that's going to be his off-season job, and then in the season he'll go back down the coast. And So it sounds like, cause, especially because it's tagged to a mall, they've got money. Um, so yeah, wow. To convince them that it's a good idea and it'll make them more money, and then we'll have a – because Nairobi's been asking me to build a pump track for a long time, but we just haven't been able to secure the land and uh, and the funds for those people to essentially pay for it to get built. So mm -hmm. these and if it's you know if they can make money off it, then it's sustainable. They'll have a work crew that'll keep fixing it up. Uh, and I've never built a pump track out of tarmac before, but we're actually thinking of can we build it? Like how much harder is it to put pump tarmac on a pump track? Can you just mm -hmm. put it out of dirt and then get some good tarmac layers with those hand-driven compressors and, and I don't know, lay it over the dirt that's there? And so, but yeah. Well, Interesting. Yeah, so it could be – because I know Velo Solutions are building those awesome pump tracks around the world. Uh, yeah. And they're all, they always tend to be some type of tarmac or some other yeah, material similar to that, and I think it's just pure maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. council doesn't want to have to constantly maintain this dirt pump track so if you put a tarmac one down it'll last a lot 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 longer 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. I think. I think it is. Once you put it down, it's maintenance free almost to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah. And really, maybe initially it's more expensive, but it cuts down your your maintenance costs and everything else in the long run. You know? Yeah, for sure. And there's there's not yeah, that cool. where the the track has to be closed because you've got to ship more dirt in, fill the potholes and the ruts and the erosion. It can just be open mm. time. You can even ride it in the rain. And then, like a mm-hmm. friend said on the weekend, he goes, and then you can even have skateboards, rollerblades, and scooters can use it. So you've sort of like quadrupled the market of people that can actually ride your pump track as opposed to just cyclists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I know I don't know if it's just me or it's because I've been watching a wee bit more of that kind of stuff lately, but I think the whole BMX scene thing's coming back again. Yeah, I think so. Like, even when I've been home in Australia at Christmas times the past couple of years, a lot of skate parks now have got BMX bikes in them. There's more BMX bikes than skateboards. Mm. Uh, and, geez, those kids can ride. Like, it's fantastic just watching them. So Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And it helps your skills um, definitely on the mountain bike too. I have seen that firsthand here. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so if you can if you can uh, BMX, you can very quickly and very easily, you know, take your skills to the mountain bike and the mountain bike trails as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Just need to get the speed. Just need a bit more speed, and you're all good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about um, because we tried to do this before the enduro ran, just to give you a wee bit of publicity, but we couldn't because you were away on a very nice holiday. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, was it Canada and the states, or was it just Canada? Just Canada. I flew in okay. Europe with the team. Uh, the bike aid boys, like the the German professional team that we're aligned with, uh, had some races in France and Romania. Um, the first race was actually up against all a lot of the big boys, Team Sky, Mobistar, uh, Valverde was there, and yeah, it was it was game on. Uh, the boys unfortunately didn't perform at their best, and we're still looking into why that happened and what was the actual reason and. Um, you know, we all want to do well and we want the boys to do well. So it's just another another mistake in a way, another lesson, uh, but we're getting there. Uh, and then after those races finished in Romania, I flew from there up to Whitehorse in Canada. And I have worked in Canada back many years ago and hooked up with some old friends and we did a 15-day canoe trip on the Mountain River, which is up in the Northwest Territories, and yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like you are mm. near anything other than mountains, trees, and streams and rivers. And uh, I saw quite a few caribou and porcupine. Saw some wolves. Um, not probably not as much wildlife as I thought we would see. Uh, yeah. It was pretty cool. Uh, we didn't have a bear come into the camp, so that was nice. <laughs> yeah and i know i asked you before you because you had no reception or anything up there sure you didn't no nothing you don't have anything for two weeks so you are completely yeah. cut off we had some sat phones for emergencies um but yeah there's no phone reset like it's not even close you got nothing so yeah. that was unreal just be disconnected for two weeks completely and uh we had a few layover days we spent two nights in the one camp and did a hike up a mountain that day, uh, but then every other day just on the river. Uh, we probably caught the the mountain river at a sort of medium to low level, so some of the canyons 
uh, weren't really that technical. There was a couple of them. You still had to really pay attention in a in a canoe. We're in sort of um, eighteen foot, seventeen or eighteen foot canoes with a deck on them, and there were some pretty big wave trains and some good sort of confused mm. water, some boils and whirlpools. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, trip data. We've had friends in the past that have done it that sent us their maps with little warnings on look out for this corner, that corner in the canyons. Um, but we could run everything. Um, there's a little bit of there is a bit of white water on that river, which is really cool. Um, makes the the trip a little more enjoyable and got to pay attention a bit more. Um, but the mm-hmm. scenery is yeah what you'd expect. It is just spectacular. Lots of really mm-hmm. nice creeks and streams coming into the mountain river. Um, but yeah, just an amazing place, full stop. And that was really cool. Fifteen days, and then I flew. Actually, was very lucky um, that my friends. Uh, that I went on the canoe trip, also ride mountain bikes. So I was up in Carcross, uh, which is becoming a bit of a known destination in northern Canada, north of Whitehorse. And even Whitehorse itself has some really good mountain biking. So we were able to rent. Mm. I rented a bike and just rode with those guys sort of in the afternoon or during the day and the day we got back. And then luckily I just happened to be there where the Carcross guys are running their enduro so it was it was cool to see how they run it. They had a better timing system than we did. We just use um, sort of a manual time. I would like for the uh, Kerio Valley Enduro. I just start we start two watches at the same time, and then I go off at one minute, ride down the trail. Hopefully, don't crash or anything goes wrong. I get to the finish line and just glance at my watch as I cross the finish line. Just got to be honest, and then write my own time down, and then the next rider leaves on six minutes. So it gives me five minutes to put my bike down, find some shade, get comfortable, get my book out, get my pen out, and then make sure everything's going well. And then each cyclist comes, crosses a line, and then we just minus their start time. So it's six minutes, six and a half minutes, seven, seven and a half minutes, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. off their final time. And then we would just back it up with Strava. And so we had Strava and and the manual timing on the sheet of paper, and that was how we um, that was how we did the timing. And I think it was close enough, like it was accurate enough. We weren't really that mm-hmm. concerned. Uh, but I know the guys at Carcross in Whitehorse had those ones where you wear like a little ring around your finger, and then yeah, jam that in the receiver. And yeah, that was rad. That was really cool. So yeah, that's the same kind of system as you use here. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, you know, I think like I know they rent. They don't own the system. They just rent it yeah. to someone. You just rent it, yeah. But like in Kenya at the moment, there's not enough events to make it sort of viable for someone to buy because I know it's about a ten thousand dollar system. Uh, mm. But that yeah, was cool, just how efficient it was and how easy it was to use. And Carcross has got really good trails. Wow, that was rad. There's some really cool riding there. And the White Horse crew, they're all really nice people, really friendly happy to show you around their trails. And then after that was done, I flew down to essentially met a mate in Alberta and then went on a, a whitewater kayak road trip down to through B or in Alberta and then through BC on some, for me, some pretty difficult rivers, mostly class four with the odd bit of class five in there. And then we ended up down at Skookum Chuck and the Skookum Chuck Narrows, which is on the, the coast of Vancouver off the coast of BC, and there's a big tidal narrows there as the tide comes in and creates this massive standing wave in the ocean. And you surf that in your kayak, and the the 
it is a very like it's an amazing wave really smooth it's really big super fast but the area itself is beautiful skookum chuck is oh nice starfish there's seals popping out of the water there's kelp and seaweed and other little crustaceans in the water and the water is pretty clear um oh it's magic it's skookum chuck is a lovely place uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, and then my cousin, or the whole reason I went to Canada was my cousin was getting married. And so then went into Squamish, which is not a bad place to be. And uh, Squamish is very cool. Man, that mm-hmm. is, it is so cool. <laughs> yeah, the trail, the trails in Squamish look amazing. It's just rad. Like, and there's yeah. just stuff everywhere. Every second bloke's got a bike on the back of his pickup. Uh, so many people can ride, like really ride well. Uh, there is guys just oozing talent in that place, and just yeah. getting. There's all yeah. There's a whole lot of range of different trails, and and their blacks are definitely black. Like <laughs> there are. Uh, and then we got a little bit of time on a little bit of time in the bike park at Whistler uh, one afternoon with my cousin after his wedding, which was fun, and some of his friends. But I also got to ride the trails surrounding the resort, uh, like Lord of the Squirrels. And mm. I don't know if you've heard of that trail, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rad. So mm. it's a uh, it's a super long way up. I think you get like 1,200 metres and climbing. And the guys, actually the guys I did it with, um, one of them, Pat Montani, he's coming to Uganda next in two weeks for this uh, Karamoja trip. He's 68 years of age and he's semi, pretty much retired, sort of. And he just just rides his bike now, and but he was hurting on that climb. Like sixty eight years, you're allowed to hurt on. That yeah. Climb. And he was. It was wow. very funny. And then we got to the top, and had some some energy bars, and then just pinned it. And you descend forever because you've climbed an awful long way, and the guys that built the trail did an amazing job. So yeah, if you're in in and around with like get up Lord of the Squirrels, it's yeah. such a cool trail. So, yeah, I've heard about it. And, you know, the trail network in Whistler is huge. Yeah. But yeah. They're, they're actually building, down the back of Whistler, they're building a network of new trails. And I think it's going to add another third, if not more, onto that network. My goodness. Yeah, like, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And you can you can see it. Like, yeah, you go into, um, you go into Whistler, there's just bikes everywhere. Like, Every yeah. shop is hiring up, and they're all good bikes. Not like I see here. Uh, mm-hmm. Just for those, just like just good bikes all over the place. And then, <laughs> and, and like in the resort and out of the resort, there is just. And again, that's where trail forks came in so handy. And uh, oh, it's just beautiful. Like, so it's really cool. To see. Yeah. In some ways, it's really good for their for the economy, and you know, it's putting people in hotels, buying food, getting their bikes fixed. Transport, car hire, shuttles. So it's quite an industry has come out of yeah. biking. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I reckon it has to be the mountain bike capital of the world. Yeah, I think so. And you know, it's amazing. But um, th- this is a number of years ago. This was maybe this is maybe ten years ago. I'm chatting. Um, I was chatting because I'm I'm well into my snowboarding as well. And Whistler's obviously the apex for snowboarding. You know also and um i was chatting to a guy whose brother-in-law owns an apartment at whistler 
And I says to him, would he not give you it for a week so you can go snowboarding? And he says, yeah, I could. well, maybe I could probably get it. And I says, what about the summer? That area would be lovely in the summer too. And he says, no, it's fully booked. He says, mountain biking in the summer there is massive. Yeah. It's even bigger than snowboarding yeah. or, ski, or skiing, I should say. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like I'm hearing that from other people as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and the little bit of time I spent in Whistler Village, like I was like, well, it might be like it's just it yeah. bikes everywhere. That's <laughs> <laughs> good to see. It's good to see. Yeah. Well, Simon, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us about the enduro. And I, I really do. Uh, I, I'm really stoked that things seem to be taking off there in in Kenya and East Africa for the mountain biking community. Yep, yeah, for sure. So yeah, so then the next event. There's a, a small one might be happening at a place that runs a zip lining uh, little business. They're actually doing a really, really nice job. It's a place called The Forest. And they've got like a little mountain bike track. They've got zip lining. I think they even have paintballing and other sort of high ropes and stuff. But it's been done very well, a lot better than I expected. And the guy that's built the trails out there, Bobby Riani, uh, I know him and he's doing a really cool job. He's built, yeah, it's a pretty cool trail actually. They've got a, a 6K loop, and I think they've now just added a lot more trail. So hopefully I'll get out there soon and check out Bobby's new trails. But they're probably going to put a, a cross-country, maybe some enduro stages in, uh, I think, or the next month or in November. Um, and then Pete will have his event down on the coast probably mid-November. Uh, there's some other events that are coming up around the same time that we've just got to um, – juggle the dates and then will clark is going to have his one which is yeah it's looking like it's going to be quite the event uh and i'm sure he had a few little ideas from from my one because it went so well and then he's we were talking about where we're going to house people the food uh how the package is going to be set up so that you sort of don't have to worry so much about doing your own cooking like it'll just be like a full board thing for the whole event uh all Mm -hmm. all that sort of taken care of uh, and then obviously there's the Mount Elgon trip. You can tag on to it that he's hoping to include after or before the enduro, so make it more of a destination trip for people that have travelled a long way if they come from overseas yeah. or from South Africa. So, if, yeah, if anyone's thinking of coming over to East Africa for some enduro riding, then at the moment that would be the, other than my event, but that would be the uh, <laughs> the when that would be the one to come for. It's going to be pretty cool and i think it's going to be the end of january or the beginning of february uh, if we just look up elgon enduro i think will's got a bit of a, a website going now and uh, or even just look up clark expeditions mm-hmm. um but yeah so there's some there's some good stuff coming up and hopefully we can get some tours going and get some people over here or but it'll just slowly evolve hopefully Mm-hmm, certainly well keep me informed and, and keep me up to date on stuff yeah for sure and um it's very interesting what's happening out there and they're lucky to have a fellow like yourself out making things happen yeah that's right so and it's funny <laughs> and, um yeah i forgot to say before but the one of the guys is a, a mzungu a white guy that's lived in kenya for i think over 40 years he's married a, a kalenjin kenyan local lady up near 10 and uh he's pretty heavy in the the tourism he makes a little guidebook every couple of years and produces some really nice maps actually of the area and he's super keen to get more of my mountain bike trails and what we're doing in cycling on his maps and push that through 
the tourism within sort of the Elgeo Marraquet, which is the North Rift region of Kenya. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and hopefully we can get the county to come on board and even maybe because I haven't, there is no trail at the moment that goes from me 10 all the way into the valley floor, which is about 1,200 metres vertical. So there's the first 300 metres is really nice and then it's a bit more gradual. But once you head off the, the escarpment proper, uh, the trails, yeah, just completely follow the fall line because the locals don't want to zigzag up a, up a trail. They just build it straight up the hill and they're, yeah, they're way too steep. I don't even know if McCaskill could get down. <laughs> but I'm thinking if you know if I can get a little bit of support and help from the county or even um, some knowledge and some help and, and uh, even permission, then trying to scratch in a trail, just get a work crew and just scratch in a trail. All the, well, the one from the, the first 300 metres is done. We use those for the enduro uh, and then build a trail on the next essentially 1,900 metres, 1,000 metres. If we could get that in all the way to the bottom, then that would definitely be, you know, another iconic trail somewhere and um, link it into some shuttles to get back up the hill. So that's a, just different ideas, yeah, that we're throwing around. So Yeah, and I think it's it's like all that stuff, if you build it, people will come. That's and right. You know, the more stuff you have out there, like maps and, and trail guides and everything else, the more stuff that's available to to people and people can get their hands on the more likely you're to see you'll see a lot more people coming out there yeah yeah for sure it's, um, you know just have to have a bit of faith that's right yeah and it's uh it's worse things to be doing than building a nice trail so <laughs> that's for sure yeah. well here um i hope everything goes well in the near future and uh, as i say keep me invor- informed and send me through any links or anything you want on the show notes as well and i'll, I'll stick them on sweet thanks gareth no worries, man. Thanks for thanks for coming back on the show. And um, I, I know you have had a wee collarbone accident, the same as myself there. So hopefully, hopefully you get things sorted if you if you decide to take the plate out or not. Yep, yep, cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, Gareth. Thanks, MTB Tribe. It's been another cool podcast, and thanks for your time. No bother, mate. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Have a good one. Sweet. Talk to you later. The year is gone, folks. The year has passed us. That's episode 55. I hope you enjoyed that. And Simon, thanks so much for coming on the show again, bud. I know it's hard to get you on. I know you're a busy man. And I know I took up an hour of your time there when you could have been having a nice coffee and putting your feet up or whatever. But thanks so much for coming on. I really do enjoy chatting to you and see what's happening out there in East Africa and Kenya and the outlying areas, Uganda and stuff like that. So it's really, really interesting. And I do, do hope to get out there and visit you guys at some stage. I think it would be an awesome, awesome trip. So all the best, man. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Now, folks, if you want to know more about Simon, about what he's doing in East Africa and Kenya there and uh, the outlying areas, and there's a few guys helping them obviously do that, you can just visit the show notes at mtb-tribe.com. All the info's there. Quick links are there. And uh, you'll find out a wee bit more by reading the show notes. Now, if you want to get more involved with the MTB Tribe, I would appreciate it. That's awesome. You can find us on social media at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. So you can direct message me there or just follow and like some of the posts and stuff. Keep up a wee bit more to date with what's happening. 
You can also contact me directly just via the website. Go to the contact page and do that. For folks listening on iTunes, thanks so much for reviews and for your comments and your five-star ratings. That is awesome. And for guys listening on Stitcher and Spotify and all, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Now, if you want to help out the show, the best way you can do that is to simply follow on social media, take a screen snap or whatever you call those things and share with friends. Again, just share via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you may listen to the show. Just share with friends and let them know that the podcast exists and get them listening. And if you feel that they they would be interested in it, that is the best way to help out the show. So thanks so much, folks. Thanks for being here again. And I hope to be with you next week. Well, I will be with you next week for another interesting MTB Tribe podcast.